Hello, hello, hello. I I hung up on you instead of actually like saying hello. I hit well, the red button. Here's, well, here, here's the thing: you usually call me, um, but uh, but this time I called you, and and no wonder you were confused. It's true. I'm also uh, trying some new uh, a new sound thing here. Uh, I I am I'm wearing my my Beats uh, wireless headphones instead of my monitor headphones and. Yeah, I don't. I I think I'm in a switch. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, you don't like so, Beats headphones for for podcasting. Yeah. So you know what? It's um. It, you know what's crazy? So I can't hear my voice through it. Like I'm. I sound like I'm. You know, I don't hear anything. So I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna switch it up here. Yeah. I'm gonna see. I'm I'm gonna try something. Hang on. Okay. I'm hanging on. Okay. Okay. Can, uh, can, you're still there. Can you hear me? Hanging on? Yep. I'm still here. Are you? You're hanging. I'm Hang hanging. away. I'm here. Can you hear me? I, hello, is this on? Is this on? All right. Sound uh, inputs the same. Output USB. All right. Here, here we go. Here we go. Hello. Hello. Oh no. Oh no. It's not working. Hang on. Uh-oh. Hang on. Oh, okay. I'm there's more. I'm hanging. I'm hanging. But wait. There's there's more. Preferences. Ah, that was it. Hello? Hello? Oh my gosh, it worked. You know why people tune in, Ben? They tune in for the, the audio professionalism. It is. It's We've really got this down to a science. I, I sound so much better now. I, I, I sounded like, like to, in my own head, I sounded all like stuffy before. And, uh, it, well, I'm, I still sound stuffy, but, but it's different. It's, uh, I've, I can hear my I can hear myself in my ears. That's what you're supposed to do. Can you hear yourself in your ears? I can, I can, I, and I can also hear you in my ears. Oh, that's amazing. Um, it's funny talking about headphones. So I are uh, ear uh, headphones. That's what they're called. They're, they're yeah. uh, their phones Ear- that go on your head. Um, Earphones, cans, cans. Talking about cans. Um, so uh, recently, I've had a couple of uh, people in my lab, uh, camera crews in my lab, and. I noticed that always, uh, and by always I mean the two times, um, the person that is that is there has uh, the exact same – I'm just taking them off right now – the exact same headphones that I have. That is the Sony Dynamic Stereo Headphones MDR 7506 Professional. And I can't that's, hear that's you, what I have. So those, oh, those. There we go. Okay, now so that's that's what I've been that's what I've been using, and that's what I continue to use. And apparently, the professionals also use that. Oh well, we—I mean, we're professionals, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's that's what we, it's what it's uh, four out of five dentists agree that these are the correct uh, headphones to use. But tell me, tell uh, me, tell me about the 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 Beats headphones that you oh, have that you're not using for for this. Got it. I love them, Don. I've had them for a while. I've had them over a year now. Um, these are the Beats Studio Wireless. Um, they are, I'm squeezing them next to the microphone. They're very soft. They are, um, as the name implies, wireless. Uh, I like to wear them on planes. They are, uh, noise canceling and they're just very, very comfortable. I work out with them. I mean, I wear them all the time. Yeah. They, they are like, they are over the ear, uh, type, uh, type headphones. Uh, so OTE as they say in the business. (laughs) Yeah. OTE. Uh, not not on the ear. What is uh, what's that? Is o, o, oh, that would also be OTE. OTE. Mm. I see a problem. <laughs> see, they these business people have not figured it out. Um, 
but I so I I love them that they were a uh, a, a gift to myself uh, about a year ago this time. And uh, they there's a couple. I mean, so you have to charge them, right? Mm-hmm, so right. you got to you got to plan for that sometimes. Yep. Um, to, but it's just like your just like your watch and my watch, just mm-hmm. like our phones. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly planning on charging things anyway. It was mm-hmm. just one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not the like in the ear type things that people lose apparently if they have iPhone sevens. Oh. Um, but uh, or dogs eat them. Although my dog did chew on these. Uh, and they still work, and they, it didn't totally destroy them. But I love them. I would get some if you were if you were in the market for some wireless headphones. These are the ones I would get. Well, you know, here's the thing: I am going to be getting a new phone at some point. Uh, I just oh. need to fill out the appropriate paperwork, um, and I'm going to. Is it need... one of those Samsung Samsung ones that blow up? Samsung Galaxy. I think it's S7? called the, the Samsung Explodo. <laughs> <laughs> It's. Uh, I think they're going to be um, the collector's items soon. You should get it. Get them while they're get hot. Get them while they're hot. Literally. <laughs> um, and I have been. I have been hearing uh, hearing from people that have the Apple AirPods. Uh, people that are have review units and have been talking about them, and they seem pretty cool. And actually, I'm just looking at the video on Apple's website right now. It's very cool. They're like flying through space. They look yeah. like rocket ships. Um, and apparently, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty good. But I don't, I don't know. So I need to I need to give that some thought. I need to research that. Uh, I am a wired headphones guy, so I really like. Tell my, me, my tell aerobics. me why. Why do you like? Um, well, because I've just always been a wired headphones guy, Ben. It's like, you know, why do I like the Mets? Because that's just what we do in my family. We like the Mets. It's not, it's not open for discussion. It's just, uh, you know, there's one thing that when I think of you, I think think about the The Mets. Mets. So I, I, and now I, there are two things. I will think of you as uh, a a Mets lover and a, uh, a guy who likes uh, wired headphones only. Yeah, no, but I, 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 I understand. I understand why Apple is moving us towards a wireless world, and, and it is a pain, and I have to take my wired headphones out of my pocket and untangle them every time um, because that's just, you know, how I roll. But, um, but yeah, so I, anyway, I'm in, the, I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood. I'm in the, I'm in the mode. I'm in the, You're in the, I'm mood in the market. You're in the headphones. I'm in the, yes, I'm in the market for some wireless headphones. I don't, I don't know. These, these uh, I am not uh, like you kids. I don't know if I want to wear some giant honking big uh, headphones uh, that look as big as these. I'm, I'm more like I need something a little bit understated. Oh, um, a little, a little subtler. Yeah, a little like, more subtle, subtle as they say. Sub, sub, subtweet. You're going to subtweet somebody about this? Yes. Um, I so so I I like um, I, ch- I I did quite a bit of research on this, mm. and by research I mean I went to Target <laughs> and I tried on a lot of different headphones multiple times while my children were like this probably happened 15 times. And um, I just – I went with com- comfort over subtle subtleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I swear to you, I even like ran in place in the Target to see if they would bounce around on my head. Of course you did. And they didn't. And I love – I mean I really do love them. Um, but I'm, I'm – and I like walking through – there is nothing that I like better now than walking through an airport with these big non-subtle headphones on like I'm like I'm going somewhere important. Like exactly. I'm going – I'm flying. I'm flying somewhere, somewhere. out of my probably, way, people. I've pro- got these headphones on. Probably, probably flying fly purse class or in your own private Learjet. Oh, yeah. You're just yeah. – yeah. You're just, you're just uh, you know, 
You're, so, you're part of uh, you know you're part of an entourage, or, or you, your your entourage is with you, or something. Right, right. Point me to the lounge. I say, which way? Which way is the which way is the Delta Sky Lounge? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you because my my headphones are on. They're really loud. I'm listening to Kanye West. Uh, I, uh, yeah, no, that's 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 me. Uh, so good luck. Good luck with the headphones. I uh, I'm not I'm not um, I'm not in a rush for you sound a, like Trump. A, I, yeah. You sniffed there. I did. Um, there's a lot of people. Have, uh, no one. No one's told me uh, not to get these headphones on. Uh-huh. A lot of people are talking about these headphones. <laughs> ben, I hear they're huge headphones. Oh, they're huge. They're huge. Uh, um, they they're tremendous. And all the other headphones are a disaster. They're a disaster, Don. Oh gosh, are we? We can't. We can't go there this early in the podcast. Yeah. Well, there uh, was, but just to date this a little bit, and we're going to get this posted soon. But yeah. um, uh, there was a debate last night. Uh, there was a, a, a presidential debate last night. Um, I watched uh, ten minutes, um, and then a little while later, I watched another ten minutes because that was all that my wife could stand before she walked out of the room. I have a greater pain pain uh, tolerance uh, threshold for that uh, than she does. But yeah, I I, I watched it all. I watched. Oh. I, I, du- I double screened it. I triple screened it. Oh, well. So so here's here was my setup for the debate last night, um, uh, using my my Sling TV, which we've talked about uh, a little bit on here and on Facebook. I watched uh, watched the debate on CNN, on on the big screen through the Apple TV, on uh, screen uh, number one, my iPad Air or sc- screen number two, my iPad Air. I watched the Toronto Blue Jays uh, uh, baseball game, which started at 7 o'clock last night, uh, and uh, had the sound down, so I was watching that. And then on screen number three, my phone, I was on Twitter. And uh, the way that we watched the debate was um, things would happen on the debate, and then I would yell out the tweets that I thought were hilarious to my wife, uh, the lovely Danielle. Uh-huh. And that, yeah. And and then uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in on this uh, reality show. It's 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 wonderful. It's a wonderful. I right from I, maybe four years ago, I've been in on this. I love I love the whole thing. I love the spectacle of it. It's like Mardi Gras. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's all, uh, it's all fun and games until you have to move back to Canada. Right, right. It's like a parade where people are just throwing things, and then then I might have to move. I, I think I'm safe. I, um, but but at one point last night, um, the lovely Danielle did say, "Oh, we may have to move back to Canada if this happens." Um, uh, hey, so I was going to tell. Oh, so my so speaking of the New York Mets, your mm-hmm. favorite sports ball team, mm-hmm. my Toronto Blue Jays won a won a playoff game last night. Oh, and excellent! The text for, oh, it's really good. Thank you. Thank you for the congratulations. Yeah. Well done. Um, good job. I mean, good job for you, Ben. I mean, oh, the hell with those, those baseball guys. They're overpaid, but you, you were, did an excellent job of rooting for them. Out of the goodness of my own heart and passion for, for my town and the game. Uh, yes. I was, yeah, it was, uh, it, it's fantastic. We're two years in a row now going to the, uh, American league championship series. Um, so it's, it's a great day for sports. It's a great, it's a great day to be alive, John. Well, ha- wait a minute now. But they're a team from Canada. How can they be part of an American anything? That just doesn't seem right. Don't it's we're in North America, Don. We you know we. Um, I think we're in the United States of North America, Ben. We're in the United States of North America and Mexico, and <laughs> and Canada. And uh, there's a Canadian baseball team that uh, is known as Canada's team by uh, everyone in Toronto. 
but, <laughs> but not people in Montreal, because I know huh. enough about sports ball to know that they have a team, too, and they're called the Expos, Ben. I the, bet you didn't so, know that. I know that, Don. You know, they used to have a team, but that team moved to Florida oh. to become the Miami uh, uh, Marlins. Miami, uh, Florida, Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins. See, now, uh, now, now you're showing me that I don't know as much about sports ball as I thought I did. But you're a Mets fan, and you don't care about the rest. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, Did yeah, you know so I heard I heard something really interesting about the Mets on an Apple podcast the other day? Because this is how I get my sports ball news from uh, um, John Gruber's uh, talk show podcast. Do you know the two? Col- do you know the colors of the Mets, Ben? I do. I do the, the orange, orange and blue. Do you know and, the, the, and white? Do you do you know the origin of that that horrible color choice? Oh, I, I, first of all, you're wrong. It's a great color choice. Uh, secondly, I don't. I don't know. What's the? Is it based on the uh, flag of New York or something? Tell me about it. No. So the the reason. So let me see if I can get this right. So there used to be two teams in New York, and they left New York. Okay. They did. Those were the, the jo- Brooklyn Dodgers and the yeah. New York Giants. And the, and this is this is on Wikipedia, so we know it's right. The Mets' colors are composed of the Dodgers' blue and the Giants' orange. I had no idea. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Huh. Uh, that's that's fantastic. I little little known fact about me, Don. I uh, grew up a bit of a Mets fan myself. Oh, just like you. Oh, that's nice. It's, yeah. Um, it's another I, connection that we have. It is. It's kind of. It's kind of amazing. I uh, so so in 1986. Uh, it's the first time I remember watching baseball. I was eight years old, and the Mets were in the playoffs, and then won the World Series. Hmm. And uh, I became for uh, no reason other than I happened to um, to be there uh, watching it. I uh, I became a Mets fan. That's that's 30 years ago right now. And so when I. Um, when I was a kid, every time we would travel to New York State, I would buy Mets gear. I had multiple New York Mets hats that I would wear, and I kind of tried to like stand out a little bit because all the you know everybody was wearing Toronto Blue Jays gear or maybe the New York Yankees, the hated New York oh, Yankees, and yeah, hate the Yankees. exactly. Who doesn't? Uh, and uh, um, and then I uh, I just took the Mets. The other the other reason, and this will probably uh, make you laugh. The other reason why I like the Mets, um, in the Beastie Boys 1986 <laughs> album, Licensed to Ill, uh, the album cover, as you open it up, had a picture of the three Beastie Boys, Mike D, uh, Ad Rock, and um, MCA. And Ad Rock is uh, wearing himself a New York Mets hat. And I was like, well, first of all, I love the, the Beastie Boys. Secondly, uh, uh, these guys won the World Series. I might as well become a Mets fan. And so for uh, a good majority of my uh, formative years, I, I cheered for the Mets. And then then I just stopped at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Beastie Boys forever. I mean, am I right? Uh, yes. That's a, that's a rap group, right? Oh, gosh, Don. You know, you know they're maybe the greatest rap group of all time. Well, greatest, I, greatest white rap group of all time, at least. Yes, uh, that is uh, un, undebatable. Um, I, Don, Don, you know, this is the part of the podcast where we talk about what we're listening to. And and I will bring this back to uh, to the, the city, great city of Toronto, my, my hometown. Um, there's this guy named Drake who's from, 
from Toronto. I, all we do now in my, in my house is listen to Drake over and over again. Hmm. He's, he's a, he's a hip hop artist. He's got some great songs. Talks about, uh, uh, getting in fights, uh, with his girlfriend at the cheesecake factory. And <laughs> as we all should do. And yeah. Why, why you gotta, why, why you gotta fight with me at cheesecake is the line. And which to <laughs> my, uh, five-year-old son loves that, loves everything about that song. Uh, of course we don't listen to the, explicit lyrics version because apple music allows me to um even though i have the album with explicit i can then go in and get the non-explicit so there's a lot of uh blank words which is which is a fantastic situation but yeah why don why you got to fight with me at cheesecake (laughs) it's a question that i often ask myself man it's it's true it's true (laughs) uh so we got the baseball. We got the debates. Um, hey, we had a hurricane here that like crazily uh, sent a, a bunch of floods all over my town. Like schools are closed. Mm. Yeah, they're still closed today. Yeah, because there's something like 150 roads that are impassable because of downed trees wow. in my town. Wow. Not. I mean, truthfully, we were not uh, impacted hardly at all. It was there was some rain and it was rain all day mm. we lost our power for about 10 minutes but there are people that are um in the neighborhood where where i am right now where my office is uh that are still without power now you know going on uh probably 36 40 hours um so yeah it was wow. it was pretty i think it was pretty serious yeah we had we had a lot of rain yesterday too uh but we did not lose power and uh no no trees down that i can that i can see so that was good so and and then yeah yesterday around three in the afternoon um it just became gorgeous uh although it's windy today but uh yeah it's uh it's really it's it's, it's a nice day today but it was it was it was nasty yesterday and the day before well um i'm glad you guys weren't weren't too uh impacted we we have some folks in our eastern counties and maybe 60, 70 miles from here that are still, like, with washed-out roads and lots of water, like, flooding. Um, and that has all these food safety um, situations that are that are popping up because now we've got, I guess, two big things. One is um, we still are, you know, late-season late harvest for some some products, some fresh fruits and vegetables. And we've got a few people that are um, – uh, like asking questions about can they harvest their their stuff? Um, so we've had some questions going back and forth on that, and then the age old question uh, for um, that that I never really thought about not living near a place where there are hurricanes or lots of ice storms. But what can I throw out or what can I keep when my power goes out and how long and all those good things? Uh, so did a little bit of media on that over this on over the weekend, and we have all these. Um, uh, fact sheets and stuff that we uh, created uh, a few years ago uh, to, to help answer those questions. But but people, um, you know, food safety pops up in this uh, in these power outage type things. Um, but I have a question for you on that. Okay. So we I know that uh, there are risks, obviously, with when the power goes out. I can't think of any any situation where i where i've seen illnesses from the epidemiological side of things where power outages have led to a, an outbreak or illnesses or sporadic cases um do you know have you ever heard of any like i mean you've been around this world a little longer than i have and i mean this world meaning the world of extension 
and food safety. But I mean, it's there are theoretical risks, and it could happen. But I can't I can't think of any examples, and I like examples. No, and I can't think of any examples either. And I can think of some. I can think of a couple of reasons why there might not be any examples. So one um, might be that that's really just not that big a risk. Okay, so yep. that's one. Uh, number two, it might be that there are examples, but we just don't know about them, so they are sporadic, right? And so we are pretty good at uh, detecting outbreaks, although probably we miss some because we never, you never know about the outbreaks that you don't detect, right? But, but, uh, but certainly sporadic cases, um, you know, figuring out the cause of a sporadic case, I mean, there's just no epidemiology at all that goes into that. So, um, so it may be that there are cases, but they're just sporadic. So for something to show up, we would we, – well, and then I guess another thing is that in a, a natural disaster, things are generally disrupted and, you know, not a lot of – you know, I mean a lot of organization and a lot of the structure that normally exists in our lives kind of goes out the window. And so probably you are dealing with crises in those situations and, you know, you might you might miss something because of dealing with the crisis of the flooding or the power being out or what have you. You are missing things that you, would, you wouldn't miss if things were in a normal situation. So those are three reasons right, right off the top of my head as to why you would never um, – we wouldn't, we wouldn't find out about that. So, uh, But, yeah, it's a really good point and I think <clears throat> I've shared in the past when we've talked about this, we've done some research looking at – Holding food out of temperature control, which is really in response to not in response to emergency power situations, but some of those models and some of that thinking did go into um, some guidance that was developed by Conference for Food Protection around uh, what to do when the power goes out, not for homeowners, but for food service establishments. Um, because uh, I mean, you know, we saw this it, with with uh, Superstorm Sandy a number of years ago, where. People, you know, uh, convenience stores and supermarkets lost power, but there wasn't um, – sorry, can you hear that in the background? The dogs are fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It, it sounds like you're in a jungle. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, and so because of, uh, because of that work, we had, we had recommendations that we could draft. Oh, so, so when you lose power um, – you could have a literal interpretation of the regulations, which says, well, gosh, this food has been out of temperature control for such and such an amount of time, and therefore it must be discarded, or this, this food is not at 40 degrees or 41 degrees Fahrenheit, and therefore it must be discarded, which is actually kind of a foolish recommendation, especially when you have situations where, gosh, people are out there working to address this power law situation, um, and they might want to have some food to eat. And so if you are overly conservative – and you end up throwing away a lot of food that is that is not bad and that is safe for sale, it's a double whammy because you could be feeding people that are out there doing the good work of putting the community back together, um, and you can't do that, and um, you have to throw away food that's good. So anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting issue. Yeah, it's, it's one that, that I think um, – I, I mean it, it, it pops up every time we have these, these weather events – and and I wonder um, I wonder what what the what the real risk is like it's it's a hard thing to calculate right because mm-hmm. we'd have to know a whole bunch of information about food and time temperature combinations um, and so but but I mean uh, ultimately I, I err on the side of caution in this 
uh, in these conversations, and I kind of highlight that, hey, um, there is a potential for, for growth with certain types of foods, and these are the ones that I would worry about, uh, and here here's what, um, you know, here, here are the things that, that I would toss out if you don't have good information on it because they may be at increased risk, but it's, you know, like there's a lot of maybes and sort ofs and potential uh, conversations in this, which I, I'll tell you is, is a hard thing to, um, to talk about because, um, and, and, uh, you know, just from an economic standpoint, largely in, in our part of the state or in our, our part of the country, in the states that get hit by hurricane issue or counties, sorry, that get hit by hurricane issues in our state um, are largely uh, counties where we have uh, highly rural populations, maybe lower socioeconomic situations. And now we're getting into like, okay, do I have un- potentially unsafe food versus no food at all? And it's not like, um, you know, a, a, an insurance check is going to come really quickly to replace the $100 worth of food that I might have had in my refrigerator and freezer or whatever, whatever it is. And so I'm, I'm really cognizant of that trade-off part of this. Um, and, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's it, it, it's it's like a lot of the stuff that we come down that we talk about, where it becomes a risk management issue, and the benefit on this one is, well, maybe I have food for the next little while versus not having food at all or trying to to um, find other food sources. And so it's it's that that plays into my my thoughts. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking I'm looking at your. Um uh, this document, uh, when the power is out, when to refreeze frozen food and when to throw it out, um, which is really about frozen food, but also looks like it's about uh, refrigerated food as well. Um, uh, and and again, I can I can, as a as a risk uh, modeler. <clears throat> I can absolutely criticize some of the things that you say. As a yeah. fellow extension person, I can tell you that I've written the exact same thing, right? So right, right, right. Milk, yeah. milk, let's, let's just take milk, for example. Well, that milk is pasteurized. So there really is no chance – there's very little chance that it contains pathogenic microorganisms. And so with milk, it's really a spoilage issue. It's not a safety issue. But at the same time, do we want to go on record in our official extension capacity as saying, yeah, it's fine. Uh, just le- It's okay if your milk loses you lose power and your milk uh, gets warm, uh, you can drink it. It'll be fine. It may be spoiled, but it's not going to make you sick because, I mean, who, you know, that's just, that's just not a recommendation that we give to people. I feel like we should. I'm like, I, as right. I think back at these, I, I, um, you know, when I, when I write these things um, that came from a different stage in my thought career uh, as well, where, where I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, it's it's easy for me to push it out now, but I do want to have that conversation with the with any of the media folks about this who do push that that a little bit to say, well, well, tell me about the science behind it or whatever. Where it's like, well, here's the thing: this is an example of we're talking both about quality and safety, and all of these things are based on a combination of both of those. Um, you know, those factors, best, best tasting, best, you know, and, and safety. And in this one, when it comes to milk, yeah, if, if I didn't have any milk or I didn't have any food, but I had some potential for spoilage, uh, but it's not going to make me sick. I might as well just go ahead and, and, and say that as opposed to, to put absolutes out there. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, right. I'll take that criticism. I, yeah. I think, and I think that's the, that's the part that I struggle with here. 
in, right. in, the, in this whole situation. Right. Well, and the, and the problem is people want simple answers. And as we, you know, we've a hundred plus episodes of this podcasting and, and going, um, we've discovered that, you know, we have, we have the ability to make anything complicated, right? Yeah. That's our job as academics in some ways. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, life is complicated and, and we are just trying to be, I mean, to, uh, the cynic would say, well, it's our job to make things complicated. We're academics. But at the same time, the realist also says, well, guess what? Life is complicated. And yeah. And, and are we really doing people a service uh, to, to give them simple answers where, when in fact the world is more complicated? And the trick becomes, well, how much more complicated do you want to make it for people, right? And so uh, it's easy to give them simple recommendations and we can find tons of examples uh, on, on extension documents around the country. Um, but, but yeah, so making it, making it a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more complex might be, it might be okay. Right. Well, and let's, let, let's go to, um, uh, a really good example of this food safety.gov, you know, our friends at the, at the government, uh, they like to, they're good at protecting us. Yes. They're here uh, to help us, Ben. They're here to help us. So, so let's let's push here: milk, cream, sour cream, buttermilk, evaporated milk, yogurt, eggnog, and soy milk. In in uh, foodsafety.gov, I'm going to shoot you this this link, and we'll include this in, in the show notes. Um, if we go to this um, spot, it says explicitly discard if your power has been out held above 40 degrees for over two hours, and that's silly to me, right? Like yogurt held above. 40 degrees for two hours, Don. It might spoil, Ben. Maybe, but it's pretty high acid, right? It's already spoiled, Ben. It's already full. Yeah. It's like the whole point is it's it's like uh, spoiled on purpose. I've now fermented it. Oh, my gosh. So and and so here's here's the thing, right? Let's tell a, a, a family that has four containers of yogurt and can't get to other food because the road is washed out, that they should throw out that yogurt because their fridge has been out for two hours. It's dumb. Right, right. Well, and and so maybe the thing is, well, okay, let's look. Let's let's do sort of a risk management triage here. Let's look at everything that you have. And I would say there's other things that I would discard long before I would discard that yogurt, right? The the yogurt, um, hard cheeses. Um, uh, some uh, fermented meat products, you know, pepperonis and stuff that are refrigerated after opening, right? So these are these are things that are that are shelf stable, and then and you refrigerate after opening for best quality. But my gosh, it's it's not like the pathogens are going to spontaneously generate there. Um, versus, let's say things that might be more risky, like um, cut leafy greens or. Uh, raw meat, which again, if you're going to properly cook, it's okay. But if you're if you're out of temperature control, you might increase the pathogen concentration, and there's cross contamination risk. But yeah, in in the grand scheme of things, um, hard cheeses and yogurts uh, are pretty low down on the list of things that I'm going to worry about if I lose power. Right. Right. Well. Or, and, or eggs, for uh, that matter, right? Eggs. I mean, my gosh, uh, you know, the the chance of having salmonella in eggs is is pretty is pretty low relative to the chance of having salmonella in, let's say, meat and poultry. Yeah. Or, in this one, I mean, we gotta we gotta blow this up, Don. As I look at this, um, or uh, cut fruit, fresh cut fruits, not not like fresh cut melons, but fresh cut fruit. So I've so let's say I've got some fruit salad sitting in my in my refrigerator that's got um, grapes, uh, some oranges, and some cut uh, some cut apples. And my I, I, you know Hurricane Matthew comes by, power's been out for sixteen hours. Um, oh gosh, it's over the four, it's over the four hours. 
Uh, I'm going to go to my trusty chart that I can access on my phone because I had it charged in the cell phone towers. Oh, my gosh, Don, I need to throw those fresh cut fruits out. Discard, it says. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, well, and yeah, I mean, and again, yeah, looking down, uh, looking down the meat and poultry list, um, lunch meats, uh, hot dogs, bacon, sausage, and dried beef are all grouped with uh, thawing meat or poultry. Uh, canned hams, um, also, you know, well, all right, and open, open canned meats, I can understand, but pizza yeah. with any topping, no. I mean, pizza is. Actually, we're doing. We're doing. I've got a, a graduate student who's a master's student who's just starting who who needs a project, and I think we're going to look at microbiological quality of pizza being held out of hot holding compliance um, because it's just awesome. it's it, because it's it's so common right like foods hot foods that are commonly out of compliance in at least in the Rutgers University dining halls and I can imagine almost any pizzeria in in New Jersey or anywhere else for that matter um, often out of temperature control but guess what relatively low risk for a variety of reasons so you know just you know Ben we we both need more things to do but yeah what this we one's should, important we should what we should do is we should you and I should write an article for food protection trends, uh, basically critiquing uh, this uh, foodsafety.gov website because because that, that yeah because because I mean we got nothing else to do right no well in, in fact we could just record a podcast and they'll take the transcript <laughs> and then it'll be a paper sure they will yeah dragon dragon dictate right yeah we'll dragon dictate this maybe. yeah. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, this is this is the kind of stuff that that I think is confusing, and this is um, it, it doesn't in a vacuum. Yeah, maybe this maybe your fresh cut uh, fruit is not going to taste great after two hours, but none of these things are in a vacuum. We have all these other trade offs when it comes to risk management decisions. Oh, Don, Don, Don. Um, so yeah, we got a we got this hurricane going on, and it's. Um, it, it, it is impacting uh, like many many people. We've got uh, oh, so flooding. That was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. So so we also and I'll, I'll find this somewhere, but we also have a fact sheet on flooding produce. This info sheet that we did uh, a couple of years and harvesting from gardens and flooding. And um, hey, can I can I stop you for a minute? Yeah, of course. Are is you there breaking ty- news? Are you typing? My while, you're, uh, while you're talking to me. Sometimes. Okay. Does it bother you? Well, it doesn't bother me, but it might bother the listeners because I can actually hear it. I can hear it thumping in my headphones. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I can it's, hear that. I'm, you know what that is? Uh, Morse code, Don. It's a little bit of Morse code. You know what? <laughs> so, what so you say, you're what, what, like, so this podcast is actually at two levels. There's at the level of us talking, but then there's like a subtext. There's a, a Morse coded subtext. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think that's fine. I'm here's my. Uh, Oh my gosh! I have it's my it, it, it's my table. Uh, it's not the you know it's not the yep. um, so I, I'm actually doing that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Let me see if I can do this quickly. Good. Okay. There we go. Got it. Click. 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 Um, oh, I can't find it. Anyway, uh, flooding. People want to know what they should do with their flooded produce in their gardens. Oh, and stuff. Th- now this is a tough one. This is one that I have often uh, been asked to comment about. And uh, again, unfortunately, it's sort of the standard extension 
uh, response is, the, or at least the response that I have is the standard extension response, which is, well, yeah, if it's been flooded, um, that's a risk, and and if it's if it's jo- if it's cans or jars that have been exposed to floodwaters, and you can sanitize the outside of those cans and jars, then that's okay to use. But no, if it's contacted fresh produce, and or if it's a farmer and the fields have been flooded, I, I mean, I guess I guess I would have to say, you know, again, from a conservative risk management point of view, that's risky, right? Right. And so this is a, it's a fun one. I mean, not fun, but it's a, uh, it's an exciting one because I don't want to buy stuff from a flooded farm. Right. Like I, I don't, I think that since there's a lot of uncertainty now, whether I get sweet potatoes versus strawberries versus uh, an orchard, a peach orchard that's been flooded. Those are all different risk calculations. And so it, it really comes down to – sorry, that was my uh, Trump again. Trump, yeah. As you know, I'm going to – I might say something that's uh, an untruth in a minute. Uh, <laughs> it, it, comes down, it, it comes down to getting specific. Right. Like like actually looking at what is it? I can't I can't tell you what to do for all of your flooded things. But each of these carries a different type of uh, potential potential risk. But we're getting we're going to get questions because, I mean, literally, we've got tons and tons of fields and orchards and peanut places that are now under three or six feet of water. And we and it'll take a while for that water to to recede. Um, so I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a terrible, these things, these disasters are terrible because it adds to a lot of, um, can, a lot of issue and, and, and it has a, a great economic, uh, impact. Um, I had a, just to, to lead into this, uh, or to continue on this, cause I think mm-hmm. one of the things that might come up in this situation is someone may make a decision to say, you know what? I know that we had some flooding, but the product looks kind of fine now because the waters have receded. So I'm going to go ahead and put this product on the market. And I wouldn't say that that is, it's not like a fraud kind of situation, but I did have a interesting conversation on on the Twitters uh, with uh, with a guy who I think listens to the podcast, Scott uh, Lockheed or Lowkey. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, about some some stuff on um, recalled product that makes it back into uh, the marketplace. And Scott Scott actually interviewed me for a project a while ago looking at recalls. He's a he's a uh, a student, I think he does like rural sociology or some sort of sociology or maybe economics, uh, environmental sociology. Here mm-hmm. it is at uh, Penn State University. Uh, but he was at Queens University in in the great city of uh, Kingston, Ontario. Um, anyway, so he, he tweeted something about um, a uh, 1994 uh, product that uh, was was tuna that ended up recalled. And then in 1995, some people found that they were um, still eating these uh, uh, cans of tuna that had been recalled. And so I sent him a tweet back about um, there were reports in uh, following the 19, or 2006 salmonella outbreak linked to Cadbury chocolate in, in the UK of people um, of Cadbury trying to figure out what to do with their millions of dollars worth of uh, recalled chocolate bars because if they 
just took them to a landfill, they were concerned that people would go buy them and then resell them on a secondary food market, which I believe happened. But I couldn't find the the actual documentation of that. But I, I remember having a conversation or reading something about it back a, a decade ago that that kind of stuff happened. So this it all kind of came to a head in my conversations or thought about uh, flooding because you may have individuals who are doing the same thing, stuff that's not really fit to be on the market, making it to market because there is an economic uh, you know, you can still sell it. There's still a, a potential, and it might be a an unsafe or less safe uh, product, or maybe not. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, I am sniffing. Here. That's okay. So, so I don't know. What's uh, what do you? What, it, it's a it's a thing, right? Like, uh, food costs money, and we're always going to. Um, and, and food has value, even when recalled. So I think we're always going to struggle with this stuff that's been withdrawn from the from the market or not fit for market, ending up in the marketplace and people don't know about it. Well, yeah, and it's 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 definitely a problem. So I don't I don't uh, yeah, and, and what we need is we need you know better um, better risk information to, to be able to, to make those decisions. But it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's without a doubt, it's a challenge. And, and from a retailer standpoint, so, you know, our, our good friends who are in the grocery store world uh, that, that we know through IAFP or other venture or other places, I think do a fantastic job at identifying safe, uh, safe sources and setting reg, you know, not regs, uh, policies on how, who they buy stuff from. But in a, maybe a smaller independent market or some of the discount grocery areas uh, and they see this great deal of uh, you know chocolate bars that or candy bars that uh, the, the price just seems too good to be true um, may jump at that and, and put those products back in, into market even though they are recalled like it's it, that's that's the it, it all it all comes down to asking questions and making good risk management decisions uh, or um, not asking questions and saying, "Well, hey, uh, it, those I, I'm buying those those candy bars or those tomatoes or those sweet potatoes at uh, ten cents on the dollar. Maybe there's something wrong with them, but I can probably move them pre- pretty quick." Well, and I guess I would say in the, in those situations, it's what you really need to be clear, uh, you know, to your customers that yeah, okay, so uh, I bought these at ten cents on the dollar. I'm going to sell them at fifty cents or seventy five cents on the dollar. Um, but I'm going to also put a sign up, <laughs> I mean, right, and let my customers know these are these are Hershey bars reclaimed from uh, a flooded situation. Right, right. Uh, but I, uh, my guess is, Don, that they're not going to do that. My guess is they're not going to do that either. No. Uh, so, I mean, whatever. Um, uh, food's all about trust and, and buyer beware, and 99.9999% of the time it's it's not – an issue, but but these things do pop up. Indeed, indeed. Uh, hey, so there's an outbreak going on that I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, that, that I, I haven't. Say, it, oh, good, but um, it's it's never good when there's an outbreak. But I would love to talk about an outbreak. All right, so here's the outbreak. Um, it's uh, it's connected to this place called Mighty Taco. You heard of Mighty Taco? Mighty Mighty it's Taco. From, uh, no, I have not. <laughs> It's it's from the uh, from the uh, part of New York that you uh, that you're from. Oh, like how about you, that? 
Buffalo, Rochester, Niagara, maybe not. I mean, maybe a little further west of uh, of the uh, great uh, great town of Ithaca. Yes. Um, where you were, the Ithaca Mets, uh, where, where you're a fan of the Mets. Um, so, okay, so here's the outbreak. 100-plus people sick uh, from Mighty Taco. Mighty Taco, by the way, I, I've never eaten there, but I've heard their – uh, commercials when when I used to live close to uh, Buffalo, New York, the border town, and I would listen to sports talk radio WGR from Buffalo, and uh, they uh, they would uh, have these great commercials that, that they'd say Mighty Taco, Mighty Taco. Anyway, uh, 120 people plus sick. Epi seems to point to refried beans. Uh huh. Uh, I, everything that I read about, and I say everything, almost everything that I read about, says it's illnesses linked to refried beans that came from an outside uh, purveyor of refried beans. But, and here's where I like to call our good friend uh, Bill Marler into, into, into question a little bit. Mm. Bill, Bill uh, blogged that this is a norovirus outbreak. Okay, that's not what I would have gone with first, but okay. I don't think it's norovirus. 14 I, locations. No. How could it be? Well, not how could it be, but it's – no. I mean norovirus is generally a single location. Right, right. So so could it have been norovirus? Maybe if we had here's, – here's, here's how it could be. We've got one uh, uh, food handler or, or a couple of food handlers that are ill with um, norovirus who are at the central location where they're making the refried beans. Uh, and that they um, somehow break through the risk factors for norovirus, like maybe someone vomits in the in, in the bean production plant or uses bare hand contact and like stirs a big vat of refried beans with their hands. I don't know. I'm just you know I'm, I'm spitballing here, Don. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably think that it might be like Staph aureus or perfringens, more likely. Well, you know, my immediate thought was perfringens, and the reason why, and we'll we'll link to this in the show notes. There's a paper uh, published in 2012 in Journal of Food Protection entitled "Growth of Clostridium perfringens During Cooling of Refried Beans." And huh. was, yeah, how about that? And uh, the, the authors include some people that you might know, uh, like uh, this MD Daniluk. I've I've heard of her. Yeah, just, and uh, A.H. Yeah. Simone and L.M. Friedrich. So yeah, uh, yeah. I know all those people. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, those are those are the last uh, three authors. So there's also the first author is J.M. Savalos Savalos. That's a, that's an interesting hyphenated last name. Um, and then E.D. Atkins. Uh, E.D. Atkins. Sorry. So um, don't know those folks, but uh, but I do know I do know the, the our University of Florida colleagues there. And yeah, and and perfringens. Guess what? Perfringens is not limited to meat and poultry. Uh, it can also grow during cooling of um, beans. Um, and actually, it's not the first paper to show this. There was another paper that studied uh, uh, pub- the growth of uh, the organism in uh, c- cooked peas or, or split pea soup or something. So not not that surprising. Um, and yeah, and I'm just reading this, uh, the article that you sent me the link to from the Buffalo News, uh, trying to figure out, um, you know, because they're, they're, op- they're probably not cooking refried beans. They're not making refried beans in all of those locations, right? right. Uh, it says the refried beans, not the beans, but the refried beans were provided by a third-party supplier and have been removed from the restaurants. And certainly uh, could well be that this was uh, a cooling deviation in this refried bean production facility, and uh, that's what caused the problem. 
Boom. That was my guess. Yeah, that's that's what I would guess. But uh, again, I'm I'm kind of biased towards perfringence since we've worked with the organism and I did know about this particular paper. So, yeah, and it, and and it would be um, it would be surprising to me if it was Nora. Me too. Like, me too. like it, it just doesn't fit the the food. But hey, we get surprised all the time right. by uh, by the food safety world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that so that that's going on. Um, a couple other little news hits uh, that I thought were uh, interesting to, to circle back around to um, something that you and I had talked about um, probably, if uh, gosh, maybe 10 episodes ago. Um, there were some uh, microgreens that were uh, recalled for salmonella this weekend. Did you see that? I did see not. That, uh, did news? not. All right. So I'm going to boom away with my... Uh, 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 typing here. Um, so these uh, microgreens are uh, from a Colorado uh, company. I will uh, text you this little uh, article so you can be up to date on what I'm talking about. Uh, gr- a group called Osage Gardens from Newcastle, Colorado. Um, and these were microgreens that were in clamshells. Uh, recalled on October 7th, FDA notified the company of a test. So there was a um, uh, a, a um, sample from a whole food store uh, were positive for salmonella. So why do I think this is a little bit notable? You and I have talked about microgreens. Um, the you know, FDA has kind of looked at microgreens as, I, I think, not sprout-like, but no difference from really tiny um, uh, leafy greens or lettuces. And I can't think of an example where we've had a recall for a pathogen on microgreens. Now, I, uh, I'm not... Um, I, you know, in going back to our past conversation and what I've talked to people about, it's not like microgreens are magic and they haven't. I, it was just a matter of time in my mind uh, that we would find this just because it's a fresh produce item and it like, looks like a leafy green. But, uh, he, you know, here, here we go on what um, – how do we handle these products? And uh, when, when we have talked about microgreens in the past, and just to, to remind folks, it's, it's a pretty um, hands-on – labor labor intensive uh type of harvest uh the microgreens productions that i've production that i've seen uh happens in trays you've got people that are harvesting these using scissors and then grabbing handfuls as they cut those those scissors it's not unlike trimming uh someone's hair um and so you know i think that there would be no question that water could be an issue here. No question that uh, hand hygiene um, might be an issue or a combination of both where you've got some contamination that comes in. And, and largely these are grown in hydroponic type uh, systems or with some other um, media. The ones that I've seen have not been done in soil, but it's not to say that they couldn't be. It's usually with some uh, simulated uh, growth media with high water uh, content. Well, and and it could be seed contamination, right? We right. know that in sprouts uh, this contamination comes from the seeds and so again if you if you're doing it hydroponically that means you got a lot of water, you have uh, certainly conditions where uh, the the plant can grow and bacteria can grow, and so it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And I would also point out that this is a this is a recall, not an outbreak, right? So no no illnesses. Yep. Not that that means that there can't be illnesses, but uh, and so again, I would say uh, this is still this is consistent with my belief and or our previous discussions that this is probably not a high risk product. It's 
again, probably, I mean, unless, I mean, I'm willing to be educated on this, but not as high risk as uh, sprouts, um, but but definitely uh, a risk and interesting that we talked about it before and, and now we have uh, we have an outbreak. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Or, yeah, or a recall. Or, sorry, least. a recall, rather, yeah. yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, just, I just said it wasn't an outbreak and then I called it an outbreak. So, yeah, a recall, so yes. It's a recall, not, yeah. The, um, but... Uh, yeah, and I, I agree with your your assessment. I, I'd say it's not as as risky as sprouts, but it's probably on par to riskiness with uh, with other leafy green items. They're just really tiny leafy greens. Yep, I would agree. Um, and and this is yeah, like I mean, we if we look back uh, for the last year, we've probably had uh, you know a handful of recalls linked to leafy greens. We you know we know of um, at least one outbreak uh, linked to listeria and, and some product out of. Uh, um, Michigan from a dole plant, but um, you know s- similar types of uh, you know products uh, to to that. But uh, you know again, um, I, I I felt it was worth talking about because it's one of those ones where it's like you know, well, um, new types of products are they are there risks? Yeah, uh, and uh, now we have some some evidence to to sort of back back that up. Um, Absolutely. Third, third one in my tour of the news this week, Don, mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. is uh, a Listeria linked uh, recall for a product that I have uh, in my home. Is it hummus? Uh, it is not hummus. <laughs> it is the. It is. I think in the. If I was thinking about the opposite of hummus, this would be the opposite of hummus. It was the Nestle drumsticks. Oh, you know about yes. you yes. know about the drumsticks? Yes, I've seen. I like. I like a drumstick, uh, and not a uh, not a turkey drumstick, but these are uh, some nice um, treats that we have in our home every once in a while. Uh, so we don't get the nut ones because the kids don't eat the nuts, but uh, we do get um, Nestle drumsticks that are like coated with crunch or cookie or nothing. Uh, anyway, uh, recall. So this is the, this one's a little notable to me as well. Um, and because this is a recall for positive listeria test in the factory where they are made, and not unlike um, what we would what we've talked about before, where we don't always know all the full information. Here's one where um, Nestle reported that they're recalling it because they found listeria. It doesn't say whether it's monocytogenes or just generic listeria, but on, on a piece of equipment located on a production line in a Bakersfield, California. Um, uh, plant, um, and so they uh, went went ahead and, and went with the recall, uh, and it they recalled quite a quite a bit. Um, I, I don't couldn't see exactly how many. Like I know how many products, and we'll link to the FDA um, uh, recall posting from from Nestle. It doesn't say like you know how many. Um, but oh, and sorry, and in here I should go back. It does explicitly say that they found monocytogenes. Okay, um, and but it, only uh, but only on a food contact surface, not on not in the product. Uh, and again, uh, recall only, not an outbreak. Ah, and this there's let's go into the subtlety and nuance again. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if it was a food contact surface. Mm. It's an equipment contact surface. Oh, from a location on the production line. What does that mean? Equipment contact know. surface. Oh, the floor. I mean. Good. Might have been. Maybe it was uh, uh, adjacent to. I don't like. So anyway, um, we are we're all on high alert for Listeria, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the the message that I that I have here. And 
uh, Doug talks about this uh, quite a bit. Seek and you shall find mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to listeria. I think uh, it, no no secret that listeria and dairy plants um, is something that uh, is um, of interest to many people, including dairy plant people. But if we go back a year where we've had a couple of outbreaks and a couple of recalls, um, you know, finding a listeria on a contact surface of equipment um if i'm if i'm nestle i guess i'm just going to go ahead and recall it from the from the uh um from the market because i don't want illnesses and i don't want someone else to find it well and it looks like this was a record keeping error right because it says on the nestle on the cnn story site which we'll link to and then on the fda site uh nestle says it detected the problem through its internal testing but that the products were inadvertently shipped to stores due to an error logging receipt of the test results so it sounds like they have a test and hold procedure in place but something screwed up with that like so under the under a normal circumstance we would the product would have been destroyed we we would have not heard about it It, they wouldn't have had to do a recall but in fact they uh there was a mistake there was a record-keeping mistake and so again good for nestle for coming clean on that and uh you know uh, hopefully uh, uh the recall will avoid any potential illnesses yeah and i'm a, i'm a fan of this proactive stuff right like oh, we yeah. we've talked about this this is this is a good now nestle has uh um i'm sure uh built the, this into their decision making and there there's no question there's a cost for this there's you know they, they've got a um, pay for the product. They're probably going to dispose. It's going to cost money to take this off the shelves, but they're not really, they're not taking any chances, not in the product. We just found it in the, um, in, in the, uh, environment or on a, what they call as, you know, as we said, an equipment contact surface, but we're not going to mess around. Let's get this product off the shelves. Let's get it. Let's go out on an offensive and say, um, we're, we're going to do what we, what we can because we found something that we don't like and doesn't meet our um, our, our safety specifications. I like this. I think this is a good move. Well, and so tell me, tell me about this now, um, it, because also in the the CNN story, it links to uh, the Nestle website, uh, and it, and it says, um, and I'll read to you from the article, and then you can give me your opinion about whether you think this is good uh, risk communication and good risk management. Um, uh, Nestle colon, it's not like the Bluebell recall. Um, Nestle stated, while both recalls involve listeria and ice cream, the similarities ended there. Our situation situation is much different, including we have received no reports of human illness. We have no listeria findings in the ice cream, just the equipment. We have only one product line affected. We have only one facility affected, and we self-identified this event and took precautionary steps to recall the product. What do you think about that as a risk communication strategy? Is that, is that, uh, a, is that a good thing to say? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I, think it's, um, I think it's great. I mean, it, it shows um, the well, you know, I, one of the the tenets on on risk communication is let's learn from others' uh, mistakes and let's make sure that uh, we address that. And and it fits uh, very much like we're saying what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we made, uh, how we're making our decisions. Um, and we uh, here's what we know right now. Um, I also think that from a risk communication standpoint, it it says. Uh, here, you know, they, they explicitly answer this question of why did it take so long for you to find this? Um, and they they admit um, that they've made an error, like as, as you highlighted. So an error occurred in the logging receipt of, our t- of the test result. We discovered the error during a subsequent review of our record. So we're doing secondary reviews. As soon as we identified it, we go to the FDA and initiated the recall. 
Uh, no, I, th- I mean, I think this is this is great, and and it explains, but like the complexity of these situations, right? Right. In a way, uh, in a way that's I think relatively accessible to people. Yeah. So, yeah. And. Yeah. And it's so yeah no we'll link to this in, in show notes I, I like this uh, I like this uh, quite a bit. Um, hey the, so the, so oh, go ahead. Yeah, the only critique that that I would have uh, on this is it doesn't um, uh, say. Okay, so they have a question of what are you doing to prevent a similar occurrence? Well, we're now looking into reinforcing our checks and balances so errors don't reoccur, and we're also investigating the root cause of the finding. Cause of the finding. What I would want to see, and this is like for bonus points and best practice uh, in in the world of risk communication, would say we're going to update you, our consumers here, when we have more information to share about both the root cause and how we made these errors. Um, so, so that there's, it go, was that's that your thing? That's for bonus points for bonus Thank points you. for bonus points. That's where I'd want to see, uh, more, more information. Very good. Very good. So this drumsticks reminds me of Cornettos and, uh, do you know what Cornettos are? I, uh, I know Frank Coronado, uh, used to play for the Blue Jays. No, uh, so- so Cornettos are an ice cream product uh, that are, are are like drumsticks. Um, I will uh, I will sh- I will share this. Oh yeah, no, I know these. So, yeah, so um, the uh, and and uh, Cornettos uh, remind me of the Cornetto trilogy. And I don't know if we've talked about this. On we've the not. Podcast. Um, no. Do you know what the Cornetto trilogy is? Is it um, the three albums that Neil Young did after the Ditch trilogy? Um, where he ate a lot of ice cream and, and it's and it includes um no i can't i can't go any further okay so the the cornetto trilogy is three movies uh uh directed by edgar wright and written by uh edgar wright and simon Pegg. and they are and we may have talked about ah. the world's end hot fuzz and Shaun of the dead and and so, and so, uh, apologies to Ga- Jack uh, Gazage uh, because we're now interspersing uh, popular culture discussions. But I mean, it's drumsticks and cornettos. How can you not go there? Um, right. So we recently watched the the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, um, which uh, stars in part uh, Simon Pegg as a f- fantastically playing the role of Scotty, the 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 engineer on on the on the Star Trek uh, uh, ship. And uh, which reminded us that he was in these movies, and uh, and and my wife couldn't recall whether she'd seen Hot Fuzz or not, uh, which is a, a cop buddy movie send up. And so we watched uh, Hot Fuzz the other night, which is just fantastic. And so uh, to everyone um, uh, listening to the podcast, so the new Star Trek Beyond movie, highly recommended, uh, but also uh, the uh, the Cornetto trilogy, and they're not they're not connected in any way other than that they star the same people. They're playing different characters, uh, but they're written by the same director. And uh, also the Cornetto ice cream um, uh, does feature in scenes, uh, not not prominent scenes, but in scenes of uh, in every movie. So uh, highly recommended. Have you seen any of these movies? Uh, I have uh, not seen oh, any of these movies. Oh, but you, but, oh, but yes. I, I, so, need to, I need to yes, see them. And yes. also um, uh, in uh, – where is it? What, what's, the, what, what's the one um, with the police? Hot Fuzz. Hot fuzz. That's the one we watched uh, last night. Yeah. Or the other. Okay. Night. Yeah. So, so that also is that the one that has? Maybe I'm getting this mixed up. Like, there's something about meowing. Do you know this? Mm. There's like a whole. Oh my gosh! No, I, I think that's look. a different movie. 
But that's a Simon Pegg movie. Oh uh, well, you know he's been in a lot of movies. Simon, it's like one of those. Uh, hang on, let me look this up. Anyway, there's a. Um, uh, no, I think it's in. Oh gosh, maybe not. So anyway, there's. I'll, I'll have to find this. But there's a whole meow, um, like thing where this junior hockey player meows through an entire um, interview based on this like one clip in, and I thought it was hot fuzz. Is there's another one? There's like uh, meow junior hockey. I'll have to look this up some other time. Um, it is. Super Troopers. Super Troopers. Oh. Is that the same? Is that them? Is that the same people? I uh, don't know. But uh, oh, okay, Super I'm sorry. Troopers. That's okay. We'll 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 sort it out. I thought that Super Troopers was also Simon Pegg, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, now it's something totally different. I, I got I, I suck at, at connecting these things. Well, you know, uh, it's a movie about uh, police, so you know how many could there be? And, and it's like a like a cult kind of movie. People yes. love Super yes. Troopers. Yes. Um, so I, haven't, I also haven't watched that movie. Okay. Uh, you also have not watched this other movie you're referencing. Oh, excellent. Yeah, but I did see this meowing thing, which I thought was hilarious. Hilarious. Um, okay. Simon Simon Pegg also uh, was in uh, The Force Awakens, uh, it's, uh, it's Episode 7. The, uh, he's in a lot of trilogies, this guy. He was in Star, the Star Wars. He's in the Star Trek, Star Wars, all the great stars. Um, and he's he plays uh, this guy who owns the uh, uh, Millennium Falcon. Oh, excellent! Yeah, Do you, have you seen that movie? Yes. Did you watch the Fourth Awakening? Yes. It yes. was fantastic. It's good. Well, a couple times. I probably should watch it again. Should watch it again. We own it. Kids love it. We're ready for ready ready Rogue One. Rogue whatever the, oh, the next the, one. The next one is yeah yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so Simon Pegg, Super Troopers. I don't even know how we got there. Cornetto Trilogy, Drumsticks. Cornetto Trilogy. Yeah, good good job. Good job, Don. <laughs> oh, gosh. This is why people tune in. It's just to watch the, the synapsing that happens in our brains. Um, I went to uh, – you know what I did on the weekend, Don? I went to a comedy show. Did you? Yeah. I went to – we uh, had my the lovely Danny and I went with a couple of friends to uh, – a stand-up comedian performance at a club called Good Nights in uh, downtown Raleigh, and it was a comedian named uh, Nikki Glazer who was really, really funny. But that's—I'm not going to tell you about the show. What I'm going to tell you is, it comes back to something that we were going to talk to John Roderick about, but we didn't, mm-hmm. and it was on our list of things. And and it, it uh, connects to a conversation that he had with Merlin on Roderick on the line about scientists not being good at teaching or not being good at storytelling. Oh, yes. Yes. And how I think you and I um, may not be the best storytellers, but it's something that we try to work on. And and again, I, I thought the first thing that I thought about after Danny and I left this, this uh, comedy show – on on uh, Saturday night was how fantastic comedians are at telling stories in a way that makes it seem like they just thought of them and, and how genuine that that feels. And I'm sure that they tell those stories hundreds of times and that they work on this and the delivery aspect of it is so phenomenal. And it's what I strive to do when I when I talk or when I um, I'm interacting with food handlers or when I'm interacting with students. And it, it just made me like, uh, want, like wonder again at how great that storytelling skill is. 
and that that it's something that you have to work on and it's something that um that matters when it comes to to trying to convince people about things like risks like it it, it was a a crossover that that I was just in awe of the art of it, not the content. The content was great too, but I was like, man, these people are such great storytellers. I wish I could be that good. Yes, and I think this is definitely something that uh, we we can learn, and and that and it is something that I work on uh, with my presentations in terms of timing and delivery and, and jokes. Obviously, I'm not a stand up comedian, but I do. Uh, try to give good entertaining talks and and try to uh, try to do a good job with that and I think I I think I succeed at least some of the time and certainly uh, I you know I tried uh, I tried a few uh, humorous uh, I always try to have a few a few, few humorous laugh lines or, or places where people can engage um, uh, and yeah it's it's definitely something that we can as scientists we can get better at in terms of the storytelling without a doubt and it's it, it makes us more compelling like it I think it helps tell it helps get the science out there better right like and and i would say that even the storytelling it goes beyond what we would do in a talk situation like there are just good papers that are good stories as well that are constructed in a way where it's it's clear from the start to finish that there is a um there's a point to this there are uh there's a start and an end uh, and here are the things that you should take away from reading this paper. And that's a, that's another skill. That's a, it's a written storytelling skill. And I don't I don't know. It, it's one of these things that it's hard. Um, I think it's hard to teach that, except by practicing and, and the writing it itself, and, and keeping it. You know, coming back to you're writing a technical paper, but there still needs to be some sort of a narrative here in a subtle way. Right, and and I would say it part of it comes from reading, right? If you want to be a better writer, uh, be a better reader, or or read more, um, and read good papers, and read bad papers, and and review papers, right? I mean, I uh, uh, even though I'm, you know, I, I'm edit a, a journal or I'm one of the editors of a journal, I still, when I get review requests from other journals, I invariably say yes, and what that means is that I spend a lot of time, probably more than I should, reviewing papers, but. I really feel like you know there's there's some value in me doing that for the community because how else am I going to – I mean one way to make the scientific literature better is to write good papers, but another way is to review papers and make sure that the bad stuff doesn't get published or that the good stuff is even better through your review comments. And so uh, – and yeah, and it's – you know, people – there needs to be a narrative. And, and, and guess what? Scientific storytelling has a formula. And the formula is you put the introduction in the introduction, the methods in the methods, and the results in the results, and the discussion in the discussion. And there's ways to do those things well. There's ways to do those things poorly. I mean a big part of it is appropriate citations, right? You, when you are building a paper, you are not just a- advancing your work. You are connecting that work to other relevant work. And if you don't do that properly, if you don't cite the appropriate uh, other papers or you you don't correctly place your work in the context of everything else um, uh, you know much like uh, I would say uh, how a comedian does a callback uh, to an earlier bit you know if you do that yeah. successfully right if you show how your work relates to uh, either other stuff you've published or other stuff that other people have published you're really doing a service and if you and if you do that poorly or not at all you're not really 
delivering much value, or that's one one way where you are not delivering value to your uh, to your your uh, your readers. So yeah, it's definitely uh, those those storytelling skills are they're different in science than they are in let's say telling a fiction story. But but there's stuff that you can learn from that. It, yeah, it's still it's still storytelling. Like it's still. Exactly. Getting, you know, transferring this information in the clearest possible way so that it resonates with somebody and that they that they use it. Um, I, I I constantly keep coming back like and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll go to um, something that we talked about earlier in the um, in the podcast and two things, I guess, that this idea of uh, of um, foods sitting out when the power goes out, not leading to any illnesses that we know, because to me, that's part of the story, right? Like that's, if, if I can point to a, a um, epidemiological link, now, now I have a more convincing message that's more than the, than the theoretical. And it's the same thing for um, the, the refried beans, being able to put your finger immediately on the university of Florida, refried beans perfringin stuff or at least knowing that that it exists or knowing that it's out there is part of the story it's like yeah we have these illnesses oh my gosh look at the science that goes into this and that's um i that that's what i think we probably do every day right like and and i think that connecting staying abreast of what's going on in the news be having a good familiarity with what's in the literature and then having a sense of History uh, is all part of this compelling um, storytelling aspect where at the end of what we're trying to do is convince people that this stuff is important and stuff, something has happened and that there's a burden and all that kind of kind of jazz to get people to take um, uh, good risk management actions. And it's – I don't know. It all maybe, – maybe it's because I'm drinking a venti Starbucks, but it all <laughs> kind of fits together today for me in my head. It's all it's all there. It's all there, Don. Excellent. <laughs> glad to hear it. Yeah, I know. It's good and good I can just sound it out here. Um uh, I had something else for you. I had something else for you here. Where was it? Where's my notes? Um where I lost it. I lost it. What do you got? What do you got for us, Don? Oh no, I got it. I found it. Okay. It's in the uh it's in the Twitters again. So uh, so uh, you know, and uh, maybe some of the um, some of the listeners know, just based on uh, you posted on the on the internet. But the last time we recorded a podcast, I was a little bit delirious because I had pneumonia, and I didn't know it at the time when we were recording the podcast. I just knew that I wasn't feeling great, mm-hmm. um, and then I went and uh, got uh, got got a, a, a chest X ray and a whole bunch of tests, and then my doctor was like, "Hey, uh, you have pneumonia. Congratulations!" So I took it easy last week. I didn't. I didn't go to uh, the um, a great place which I love to visit, which is New Mexico, Las Cruces. Um, and you did, but and I want to talk about that. I want to come back to that in a second. Hello, is this can, Ben? Chapman? Can you hear me? I can hear. It me. is. I am. I'm on my personal hot hotspot on my phone to continue my story. Sounds really clear. Is it okay for it real? Yeah, better than normal. Jeez, you should, Thank do, all, you, you should do all your recordings from your hotspot on your phone. 
Good job, AT&T. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's uh, 70 degrees and sunny in North Carolina, and our power is flickering. Um, I'm not sure why. And there's no, my everything, all the internet in the whole uh, university appears to be down. Well, it's probably hackers. Ah, flooding. Russians, Tom. It's flooding. Um, so, so I was telling you about uh, about norovirus and in uh, in oysters. And okay, so I was let me quickly tell tell my story. Um, I was reading uh, this paper. Uh, talked about a bunch of people got sick from uh, oysters in uh, in Denmark, uh, and by a bunch of people, we're talking. Um, as 60, uh, 67 people on 18 separate occasions at eight different restaurants. And so um, I was interested in whether these were raw oysters or steamed oysters or lightly cooked oysters because it wasn't clear from the, from, from the paper. And this is from uh, – it was a letter that was in Emerging Infectious Diseases. And the um, authors are uh, Rasmussen, Schultz. Olbrand, Jensen, Fisher, um, and uh, sorry, and it's Loss Loss Dom Rasmussen. So I, uh, at the bottom of the article, and I'll uh, we'll link to this in show notes. There's this cool situation that says, "Hey, you have a comment on this? You want to send it to the authors or the editors? Go ahead and send it." And I did. And it worked, Don. I got a response back within like a day from uh, Lost Dom Rasmussen. And my question was, hey, are these, you know, all raw oysters? And she said, yeah, people in Denmark don't eat steamed oysters. And I understand they do in, in the U.S. Whoa. So, I mean, the content was cool. I was sitting on my couch. I was recovering from, from pneumonia. But it worked. Like, I didn't go through anything. Um, anyth- I didn't have to go through anything crazy. Wow. I just sent a message and and then it, and magically it res, uh, the response was there back in my in my inbox. Wow, that's pretty cool. It is really cool. So, so anyway, I thought I thought you'd be interested in that. It was yes. uh it was it was good. This is this is the way science should work. And now I have a new pen pal friend. <laughs> uh Los Los Rasmussen. How about that? Yeah, Los Los uh, D- Los Dam Rasmussen. Damn Los Rasmussen. Da- yeah. Um, so it was, it was cool. It was cool to hear, hear back. And, uh, anyway, I, so I think I might've told you about, um, why I might be interested in that, uh, in a previous podcast, but I had a, um, uh, a student who's now at Virginia Technical, Arnold, who was doing some work on seeing whether people, uh, who go to oyster places, um, might get good information from the oyster servers and the oyster managers on whether, the uh, oysters that are cooked are actually cooked or not because uh, Noro and oysters, you got to cook it for a long time. Uh, and Vibrio gets killed pretty, pretty quickly. So I was interested. It was like, were these all, is this another example of uh, lightly cooked or steamed oysters that made a bunch of people sick? And, uh, you know, as I said, the answer was no. No, these were raw these, oysters. These were all raw. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, because so, so because you were home um, uh, with with pneumonia, you did not go to the uh, the cleverly and memorably named S ten fifty six multi state meeting um, in Las Cruces, New Mexico. But I did, and it was a wonderful wonderful meeting. Las Cruces is a beautiful town. It was fun to uh, to fly into El Paso. 
the West Texas town of El Paso, immortalized in, in song by the Grateful Dead and Marty Robbins and others in the song El Paso, um, and then drive uh, approximately an hour uh, roughly north to uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, where we had a wonderful meeting that was organized by uh, the great folks in the, the media lab uh, there, uh, and they did a wonderful job. They took us uh, f- even further north one night to White Sands uh, monument uh, where we got to uh, hang out on the white sands of the white sands monument and it was uh, just a delightful meeting met some new people i uh, got to see some old friends uh, it was a great meeting with the exception that you weren't there oh i appreciate that i i like had i really am disappointed that i missed it because I, I i i got a lot of value after last year's uh multi-state meeting that that uh, i attended and, and you and michelle and um, Bob Buchanan and I put on a workshop on um, risk analysis. Uh, it was it was great. That was last year. It was in Rhode Island, and uh, it you know we we all get together. I think um, at IAFP uh, as a group of food safety people at universities, and but it's such a busy meeting that there isn't a lot of time to talk about potential collaborations. And I don't. I mean, you know, we you and I have talked about this. Uh, I don't have a lot of time for meetings for the sake of meetings, but I did get a lot of value out of that last year um, just to to connect with people and come up with some some potential ideas and uh, it, do it in a in a really nice setting. So I am I'm kind of bummed that I missed it. Uh, I'm glad that I, I didn't die from pneumonia. Um, yes, we are too, Ben, because uh, it's important. Well, it was important that uh, that you go, uh, potentially go to uh, uh, this meeting. It's more important that you not die from pneumonia. Yeah, and it turns out people do die from pneumonia. I'm yes. not one of them. Yes. Uh, well, not yet. I, no, not yet. Not yet. I haven't uh, – I did not succumb. The, as, as I – I uh, sent a message to my to my lab about my recovery last week because I said I'm not going to come in much. I spent a couple of mornings in here just doing a couple of things, and then I went home and rested in the afternoon. And I said that my own reports of my demise have been greatly overstated because <laughs> I am a little bit dramatic on these things. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm not coughing. I don't have any. Uh, I have a clean bill of health, according to my my doctor. Uh, we had a follow up uh, on uh, Friday last week, so so I'm I'm sad that I missed it. I'm glad that I uh, recovered, and now I feel much much better, and uh, I'm ready to ready to hit hit the road running, Don. Ready to the world is my oyster. Uh, the world is my raw oyster, full of full of norovirus. Excellent. So, uh, so speaking of pen pals on the internet, um, I uh, I don't have a pen pal yet, but I may I may yet develop one here. Um, so, in breaking news, uh, this just in as we were beginning to start the podcast, uh, I was that's the that's the breaking news the breaking news sound. Yeah, that's the wire. That's the wire. Came off the wire. Yes. Um, so I uh, uh, guess got uh, tweeted at by uh, Tom Jones, M.M. Uh, Bagel Z on the Twitters, um, who says um, um, uh, at microbes infect at bug counter shots fired. And uh, basically this is a reference to an article um, uh, published in the New York Times uh, entitled The Upshot. Uh, the headline of the article is I'm a doctor. If I drop food on the kitchen floor, I still eat it, uh, which is a post from 
Aaron E. Carroll, who's somebody that I know from the internet, I, I, I follow on the internet, um, and he basically says, uh, I'll read to you from the first paragraph, you may have read or heard about the study debunking the five-second rule. It said that no matter how fast you pick up food that falls on the floor, you will pick up bacteria with it. Our continued focus on this threat has long baffled me. Why are we so worried about the floor? So many other things are more dangerous than that. So... Um, anyway, um, uh, he, he goes on to, I guess, critique the study um, or basically says uh, there's nothing special or we shouldn't worry about this. So he says, yeah, our metric shouldn't be whether there are more than zero bacteria on the floor. It should be how many bacteria on the floor compared with other household surfaces. Uh, there's so many places in your house that pose more of a concern than the floor. Yeah, okay. And then he goes on to cite, cite some work by Chuck Gerba. So, you know, that's nice that he cites Chuck's stuff. Um, um, and calls him out by name doesn't do that for us, uh, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know what to think about this um, other than that he posted this and it got uh, it has uh, 95 comments um, and he only posted it today the 10th is the 10th today yes he yeah. posted today so um, yeah so I guess uh, yeah thanks uh, thanks for linking to my article um, Dr. Carroll thanks I don't know what to say about yeah. that. I think I think it's good. So here here we go. Um, I, I look forward to you uh, uh, writing about uh, coliforms because that's uh, where wh- what his metrics are based on. That uh, there are more coliforms elsewhere, Don, than the floor. Okay. Well, yes, there are. Coliforms don't make us sick. But anyway. Oh yeah, I forgot about that part. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of he kind of glosses over some of the more substantive parts of the article, but yeah, whatever. I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know how to react to this. But thanks to Tom Jones, uh, uh, MM yeah. Bagel Z, uh, our 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 buddy on the internet and podcast listener. So um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I will uh, respond on Twitter and say, yeah, hi, we did that work. Thanks for linking yeah. to it. Yeah, thanks. You are. Uh... Maybe not getting. He's, yeah, I think he's more concerned about money handling, Don. Yeah, which based which, on this. Yeah, which is a kind of a low risk, I guess. But anyway, whatever. No one's getting Don't. sick from money. No one's getting sick from food off the floor necessarily. And 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 uh, yeah, he hasn't hasn't read, didn't read any of the much of the press that I yeah. did, where I said I eat food off the floor too. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's about cross contamination, which is important. And uh, guess what? Our our article uh, advances the science of cross contamination, and I will stand by it. So. Yeah. Good. Good. I like it. I like where uh, this is. It's fun to be on uh, the internet um, uh, wars or discussions. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's, you, you know, and there's a there's a ton. Uh, there's just a ton of of press on this. Uh, the latest report that I got from um, our media office is over two thousand web links uh, to various sources on this. So, and that doesn't count any of the radio stuff that I've been doing. The good news is it's kind of. Uh, uh, trickling down it's winding down which is good it's been it's been fun um but i'm i'm you know i'm ready to do something else other than be the guy that gets interviewed about the five second rule but hey i i brought it on myself this was my choice and uh guess what we we did peer-reviewed research first and then uh and then we wrote the press release and that's the way you're supposed to do it so take that uh aston university (laughs) yeah yeah take take that uh aaron carroll yeah what have you published what have you published about? Don't drop your chips on your on a sack of money. Yeah. Why are you eating off money, Don? I'm I'm not. Man. I'm not I, eating off money. Okay. I wish I. Is that something that rich people do? That they just have plates <laughs> yes, full of money. Plates of money. 
it does. A, oh, good, good. Well, it's a solid. It, there's a study of one dollar bills out there that ninety four percent are colonized by bacteria. Oh my gosh, the bacteria are taking over, Don. They've already taken over, Ben. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, literally everywhere. I had um, so I, I, I ate a lot of yogurt last week because I also had with my pneumonia a lot of uh, antibiotics. And uh, um, for a few days, my poop was uh, surprising, and then it got back to normal because of the bacteria. Describe surprising. I'm not sure. Not sure if I really want to. I guess okay, that's fine. Um, no, I, guess, I, will, I will. I will describe surprising. Um, I would say that there were um, color striations oh. that I had not seen before. Okay, colors. Good, good. Yeah, there was a um, a consistency that I'm not that, – that I would not say would be my normal consistency. Okay. Uh, it, there was um, – uh, in the Doctor Oz terms, because you know he's he knows everything poop, right? I, uh-huh. I saw a picture that I did not click on with him pointing at what looked like poop on a table, but I guess it was probably oh, yeah. um, like just like uh, uh, mock-ups of poop. I don't know. I think it might poop. He, so I had um, the, uh, it, there was a, a, a less twisting than normal. Um, <laughs> Which Dr. Oz, I'm sure, would, would say that there indicates that there might have been something going on with my microbiome, which there was because I was wiping it out with a bunch of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the um, frequency and timing was not my expected routine. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad that this has turned into <laughs> – this is now episode two of – Poop Safety uh, Talk. Yeah, poop safety talk of, with Ben uh, on a uh, on a plane and now just in in my normal everyday life. Uh, yeah, but uh, after uh, my, I, I ate a bunch of I was eating yogurt like a like a yogurt like a yogurt salesman, um, and uh, I, I, I things got back to normal here uh, pretty pretty quickly. Glad I'm happy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the concern. Uh, so so I'm back. I'm back. I'm back in back in black. You're back, baby. I'm back, baby. Here we go. Um, Yeah, so breaking news. Um, Internet's good. Everybody's happy there. Um, I'm going to start writing things again because I feel like I'm I'm rejuvenated. Glad to hear it. Uh, Yeah, so what's going on? What's going on with you? Anything new? Uh, No, nothing. I think that's a show. I think that's a show. I, I got to go write. I got to go write, uh, gotta go write a tweet to um, um, Dr. Carroll um, about my study, um, and then I'm going to have some lunch. But uh, but I think we'll that's go a have show. some lunch. I think it's a show. You know where I'm going to end just before the end of the show. I'm going to the state fair, Don. Oh, it's, a, it's that time of year again. Oh, uh, judging, judging jams. Yes. Uh, from one until about three o'clock this afternoon, I've got an uh, an army of eight individuals, and we're going to pop the lids on a bunch of stuff, and we're going to test some pH, and we're going to track it, and we got a stack of recipes that we're going to go through, and then tomorrow, judges all coming in to taste away the things that won't make them sick, hopefully, and uh, look at the things that might make them sick. 
Oh, and Doug, and Doug has already emailed me about this. Oh, have fun, it says. Have fun. <laughs> yes. Oh, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. So speaking of uh, Las Cruces uh, and and our uh, and your testing of jams and jellies, I was talking with a new assistant professor at uh, University of Illinois, um, uh, Matt Stazowitz. Stan Stan Stanzwick. Yeah. Stanwick, Stan, yeah. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. I met him. Yeah. Like good, that guy. Good guy. Yeah. Really nice guy. We talked about um, big data. I talked about the work that we're doing with. Um, Actually, in my presentation, I talked about the work that we're doing with data analytics of, of raw milk data from Pennsylvania. He talked about some of his ideas on um, um, big on data analytics. He's actually collaborating with a journalism student that's very enamored of uh, the uh, uh, five thirty eight style journalism. Um, Ooh, and I like it. Yeah, good good stuff. So, um, oh, but what I think I think that's what triggered my discussion with him about. Um, oh, and the other thing too about I, in your your mentioning the state fair reminded me about that we've been talking about maybe doing something um, around pH and water activity for jams and jellies. I mentioned I think a number of years ago now I've, I tested pH uh, and water activities uh, of jams and jellies made by an entrepreneur. You and I talked about the um, bacon maple cronut slash watermelon jelly outbreaks. And trying to relate the pH and water yeah. activity of those products to what we tested uh, recently, um, the lovely one of my lovely uh, physical therapists who works on my wrist, uh, sh- we had a very nice discussion about. She's a big into jam making these days, and she had some fig jam, and I offered to test it for her because uh, she modified the recipe. Because again, the big problem is all these people don't like the sugar content of these jams and jellies, right. and so she raised the uh, uh, lowered the sugar content. Um, and I, we had a discussion about botulism and food safety, and I ended up testing her her fig jam that she made, um, at which and I was like, hey, I'll plug that into the spreadsheet that I've got, uh, which reminded me that you and I had talked about maybe doing something about about data and and pH and, and jams and jellies. So this is all by me way of me saying um, we should keep talking about that, and we should. We, yeah, there's another paper we should write, Ben. There's another paper. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have a whole bunch more. Uh data that I'll share with you uh, maybe uh, maybe tomorrow or the day after. That would be great. Do, it's real-time science. That would be cool. Cool? Cool, cool. Don, it's been great. Go get some lunch. I'm going to go uh, see some jams and jellies. Um, and uh, thanks. Thank- and now it's uh, so good job uh, AT&T for saving the day. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's uh, you're breaking up a little bit, so let's not give them too oh, much sorry. praise, but but better than nothing. So thanks, thanks for better than nothing, AT&T. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, for being there for a little bit. All right, talk to you later, Don. Bye bye. Bye bye.
All right. Am I still breaking up? Yeah, you were going in and out, so I'm going to have uh, to use some. And I think this this one is mine, so I'm going to have to clean up the audio is. a little bit. Good good luck. Good yeah, luck. Thanks. You're welcome. Sorry. I uh, blame Hurricane Matthew. Yes, let's blame Matthew. Not uh, uh, not, not, not Matthew uh, uh, Broderick. Stasowitz. <laughs> no, not Matthew Stasowitz. He's a good guy. But the yeah, hurricane. I like him. Yeah. I'm going to have to try and get a boom that is not on my desk. Yeah, because it's really distracting. I mean, I don't know I'm how sorry. it's going to come through. It's a, that's fine. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I can talk with you. But um, it just if it comes through on the on the recording, it's I think people are going to find it uh, distracting. So I'll tell them I'm, I'm going to fix it. Okay. I'm going to fix it. Well, that's it, buddy. All right. Have a good have a good state fair. I will. Um, I'll uh, I'll email you later. Good luck with the uh, with the coliforms on all over, not on the floor. Yes, yes, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. It'll be awesome. Oh, happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't drop any turkeys. I won't. I'm not. I even made turkey last night. It was awesome. And I'm going to eat that for dinner tonight. I'm going nice. to eat. I'm going to eat the heck out of that tur- all right. turkey. All right. And happy happy right. uh, happy Canadian Thanksgiving to everyone who listens to the After Dark. Yes, and uh, happy Columbus Day for those uh, who like to celebrate Columbus. That's yes. today, right? Yes, that's today. Very good. Are you? You have a? Is that like a state holiday for you guys? I don't think so. I'm I'm working from home today anyway, and I went to the physical therapist for my shoulder this morning. So I'm I don't know, but uh, and not my I mean my email's going like it's a regular work day. So I don't yeah, know if it's see, a holiday or not, but it doesn't really matter. Holiday. I think it's a federal holiday. I don't think the Fed people are. Oh yeah, I bet I bet that's right. It's good. Good. All right. Cool. I will talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.